Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. About a standard orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take a seat. I say. You will obey. It is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's newest series about Trek FM's oldest series, the original series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landrew, and I'm the TOS editor for the network, and with me as always is Mike from Commentary Track Stars. Hey, how's it going? How are things up there? It's getting really cold down here. I imagine Chicago is some kind of frozen tundra already. (laughs) Not quite, but it is getting cooler. Yes, bundle up. I've only been up there during the winter. Oh, really? The the three or four times I've been up there, so I only know it to be a frozen tunnel. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about my favorite cliche in the original series, which is uh, Kirk talking computers uh, to death or shutdown. Computers are great. We record a podcast on the computer. You're, you've downloaded this on a computer or a computation device. And uh, Siri can get snarky if you ask her about Google Glass or anything like that, but uh, she doesn't try to control your life like uh, like these machines. So uh, we're going to talk about three examples of Kirk out-logicking computers. Throwing the logic bomb is what, what I like to call it. He's like, you are being illogical, and they explode. We will not talk about iMud because I've already mentioned it a few times, but it's my favorite episode where Kirk talks computers uh, to explode but everybody does that so this is we'll just focus on kirk talking computers down so the first episode we're going to talk about is my episode return of the archons it turns out i mean spoilers there's a big computer that's running everything but when they first beam down they have no idea what's going on all these people are nice and calm and overly happy and then it turns six o'clock and they go insane is it overly happy or overly pleasant because they don't seem really happy. That's true. They're just super polite, yeah. not necessarily. Yeah. That they seem to be enjoying themselves. They do seem to be enjoying themselves come six o'clock. Yeah. It's the red hour. Which, the red hour, we can talk about that for a minute. What What is that? What is your theory on, I mean, is it every night? Or is it once a year? Or, because it seems to last 12 hours. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess... It would be weird if it was just that one time. But they say, like, you're here for the festival, right? So that is that tied into... I mean, that's what Red Hour is, too, you would think? Right. Is 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 the festival compared tied into Red Hour? Is Why is Red Hour 12 hours long? I'm My theory is that it's once a year they just let loose. The Landrew, the computer, not me, releases them from his forcing them to be pleasant and lets them run amok. That could be. It, it just seems weird that they would show up right at that time, right? Well, I mean, it's television. I mean, I guess so. I'm but... sure in an alternate universe, they come on a normal day and everybody's overly pleasant. And Kirk says, no, and then flies away. I mean, that's like some pitch black logic right there, you know? <laughs> and, you the, know I, I the Vin mean, Diesel movie? Right, yeah. Which is really good, aside from the one thing where it's like they crash land on a planet, which has not one, not two, but three suns, right? And they happen to be on the planet 
on the one day every like thousand years where there's a total solar eclipse so it's pitch black and <laughs> there are these creatures which only come out in the dark which are going to try to kill them i mean and they have the one guy in the universe who can see, see in the dark in the dark yes aside from that it's a really good movie but i like it that seems like some pitch black logic here with with the red hour the red hour only being you know once a year and they show but up if it's like literally it's, like five minutes before it starts right but if it's once a like night they'd never sleep i will they're, they're, well, i guess so unless they sleep they're during awake the day, all day right? no because they're they get zombified and start chasing everybody around Maybe they don't need to sleep. Maybe that's part of Landry's blessing. But then if it were every night, they'd probably all be dead. Right? <laughs> they would have eventually killed each other at yeah. that point. I mean, they're throwing rocks and bricks. Which, where do they get all those bricks? You know? I mean, because they're flying everywhere. I don't know. They weren't very dangerous because people, they kept getting hit. And they're just bouncing, bouncing off. right off, yeah. <laughs> and like... The guy who jumps through the plate glass window. I mean, there's... If it was every night, that's a lot of property damage to clean up by 6 o'clock. That's true. And you'd think even being controlled by a computer, you'd be like, this seems pointless. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how often that happens. I don't know. I'm sure that there's a... There's some book. Oh, I'm sorry. This isn't Star Wars. There's not a book that explains everything away. (laughs) Some things are just left alone. Yeah, for me, this this episode and and Red Hour in particular is uh, sort of a constant in my life because um, for some reason, at about 2 a.m. every night, my cat decides to run around our apartment like crazy, (laughs) jumping off of things, and and my wife refers to that as his Red Hour. (laughs) So we're always talking about this episode, whether... (laughs) whether we want to or not. I am too. When I went to see Five Year Mission uh, at Gen Con a couple months ago, they played uh, their Return of the Archons song, which I yell, that's my theme song! (laughs) (laughs) Well, what, I mean, do you like the episode, or is it just something that you're attached to by name only? It's something I'm attached to by name only. I'm not a super big fan of the episode, but it was one of my first uh, ready rooms, I think. And after that ready room, uh, they just all put it together. Like, wait a minute, Drew, Landrew, oh. <laughs> and it also kind of fits like land, like local area network. And I'm an IT guy. So uh-huh. it's like Landrew is like the local area Drew. <laughs> it's it's not a bad episode. I, I enjoy it. Uh, it's not one of my favorites by any stretch of the imagination, but it's totally watchable. It's it's fun. You get McCoy acting. Well, let, let's go back, jump back into the story. They find out that it's that there's Red Hour, and that some people aren't affected, which is I don't think ever really explained. Mm-hmm. There's just some angry old men, like who are exempt or something like that. Yeah, like maybe after a certain point, you've worked out all of your emotions. Yeah, because what it seems to be is like a purge, like that new movie where everybody uh, once a year gets to do whatever they want and in exchange there's there's no crime throughout the rest of the year for some reason right and when they announced that movie i was like oh so it's the return of the archons (laughs) the movie yep 
With Ethan uh, Hawke as uh, the, the Captain Kirk role, I'm assuming, right? Which is I, weird, because that's who uh, Harv Bennett wanted to play young Captain Kirk back in uh, the the Starfleet Academy movie thing that was being developed for the 25th anniversary. That's incredible. Yeah. We, we now... Man, now I have to see that movie. So The Purge fits into Star Trek continuity. <laughs> For those of you who aren't aware, Mike <laughs> likes connecting continuities. I just, I, I, I don't connect them myself. I just find the connections. Yes. We got official confirmation that 24 takes place in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, my friend Zach, he was like, uh, I kind of feel like 24 takes place in the Mirror Universe. And I'm like, well, Brandon Braga wrote for both shows. Let's ask him. And I asked Brandon Braga on Twitter, and Twitter and uh, and Brandon Braga said, "Yeah, it does." So there you go, from Brandon Braga. And if he wouldn't know, who would? Twenty four. Exactly. It takes place in the Mirror Universe. I love that. So Kirk and Spock and McCoy. Uh, McCoy gets captured. First random random officer gets captured as Sulu screams and gets beamed up and they find that he's been brainwashed and McCoy gets, uh, everybody gets captured and McCoy gets brainwashed and he's overly Southern, which, which may be part of the side effect of, of Landry's brainwashing. <laughs> so it, it, it turns out of course that there's a computer behind it all. Uh, thousands of years ago, uh, a guy named Landrew built a computer to help, the people take care of themselves and after he died the computer decided well you know the best way to take care of people is to force them to be obedient and nice and polite and it didn't work out i guess he had to landrew had to shut himself off maybe that's what red hour is maybe it's landrew rebooting for 12 hours there you go that makes sense I mean, he's an old computer yeah he's got he doesn't have a solid state treatment. drive yeah you know you can see all the the tape reels that go back and forth on on most of the TOS computers. So there's So the red hour is that's it. is essentially just like server maintenance. Exactly. Okay. I like it. There we go. <laughs> of course Kirk can't let a perfectly fine society be happy because I guess the prime directive doesn't Does he say that in this episode that the prime directive only applies to civilizations that are moving forward? I don't or know. Is that a different episode? I don't. I don't I'm remember sorry. honestly. But it it seems that Kirk's using that logic that uh, you know, you're not supposed to interfere with people who don't know anything about spacemen and stuff. Which I guess another loophole would be the Archons, which is a ship that came a hundred years ago that never left. Mm-hmm. Which they never really go back to. They're just like we're checking on the Archon because it it disappeared. And then when Kirk and them beam down, they're like, oh, are you Archons? Sh- sure. Well, why not? But it's not like there's a big prophecy like, oh, when the Archons return, then behold. I don't know. It's it's interesting, but it could have just been a random planet. Hey, we found this planet. Mm-hmm. Let's check it out. Yeah. But maybe the fact that maybe that's the point. Maybe that the fact that the Archons were brainwashed and either killed or bred into the society. Maybe that's what Kirk wanted to avoid. So he had to release everyone from the computer's hold by not shooting it, 
as 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 he'll do to the exact same computer <laughs> in Taste of Armageddon. Poor computer. That just model. Apparently, everybody's had it for thousands of years. Like there was some kind of salesman going around selling this this life controlling model. It's, it's like the iMac, you know. Everyone had an iMac back in 1999 or whatever it was, right? The Bondi Blue Landrew. So Kirk talks the computer to death by telling it that if it's making people happy, which is its job, but happiness is impossible without free will. So they're not happy. And Landrew's like, they're totally happy. No, they're not. They're not happy. Look at them. They're, they're not happy. You're making them happy, and that doesn't count. And Landrew spins and then catches on fire. and Everybody's released, and Kirk says goodbye and flies away for the cleanup ship to come in and try to rebuild their society because now they have... I mean, who knows how deep the brainwashing went? Do they have any idea how to run a society? I guess the old people yeah, the old who pe- weren't in Red Hour... Right, they might have, have a little bit of uh, leadership, but I mean, the way that it, it, it goes down, really, because those guys come out and they're like... Holy frack, Landrew, I don't know what to do. You know, what is going on? And then Kirk just kind of looks at him and they're like, you're, you're fine, don't worry about it. All right, we'll see you guys <laughs> later. And then leaves. I mean, it really is kind of just like that. Like, you know, he he really brushes it off as if it's nothing. All right, so how do you uh, feel about Kirk's skills as a uh, computer destroyer in this episode, as a verbal computer destroyer in this episode? Well, I, I like it when Kirk gets uh, impassioned and has to make a speech. So when, when Kirk has to give a speech to a giant computer in order, that causes it to destroy itself for the betterment of mankind, I appreciate that. I like I like that this is about free will. It's not just, you know, you're doing a bad thing. That That's something I noticed when, when I was going over these episodes, is that these none of the computers that we're going to talk about today are evil in and of themselves. It's not like some mad scientist, you know, set a computer down and said, oh, I'm going to take over the world. And it's always, you know, uh, for good. All of these computers are trying to do good or trying to do what they were programmed to do. They're just not doing it properly or appropriately. I like Kirk's big speech about free will. And it's a good point. Without free will, we all just uh, run around obeying whatever we're told, and that's not not a, a good way to live at all. For me, I guess I was looking at it more from just a uh, a technical standpoint. Like, how well does he destroy this computer? Or you know, <laughs> how efficiently? Or maybe it was more from a, a creative standpoint. And you know, like, is this feasible? And, I mean, in this case, I, I think it's okay. Like, of the three we're talking about, I would put this one in the middle in terms of uh, computer-destroying skills and also uh, plausibility. Basically, the, the rationale that he uses to get this computer to self-destruct is that he's supposed to be protecting the body, right? Or, or sustaining the body, but the body is unsustainable without free will right that's sort of like the basic uh 
the basic gist of his his argument to the computer, mm-hmm. and the computer is just like, I that that doesn't work for me. Okay, so I'll just stop being. But you can tell what this is the first time that that Kirk had done this because he's not uh, he he's not able to do it on his own. He you know it, it's Spock who's like, "There's your end, Captain." And then at one point, Spock actually steps in and like adds a few things here and there to just sort of you know finesse it. It's more of a team effort, you know. <laughs> Whereas in in the other episodes, Kirk is just doing it all by himself. He's he's mastered the art of uh, computer destruction. So. <laughs> So yeah, I I think it's it's okay, but uh, not not nearly as efficient as some other times. Well, we'll roll right into the next one, which is the Changeling, which is not about Odo. Strangely enough, it's not about Angelina Jolie either. I I don't get that one. There was a <laughs> there was a Clint Eastwood movie that came out a few years ago called The Changeling, with. Uh, Angelina Jolie and it's I guess it's based on a true story about um a woman and like she was I forget the exact details but it was something like her kid you know went into the hospital or whatever and then they gave her a different kid and she's like that's that's not my son and they're like yeah it is yeah and everyone's like you're crazy you are you are just straight up crazy for thinking this isn't your son and then she basically, you know, had to go through and prove that this wasn't her son, and they had switched the kids and all this other stuff. It it was it's weird. It's not a good movie. Don't bother okay. watching it. Okay. But it, it is noteworthy for two reasons. Well, one, it was written by J. Michael Straczynski, which really? is very strange. And the fact that there's a J. Michael Straczynski movie out there starring Angelina Jolie, directed by Clint Eastwood, that's weird. Okay. That is weird. But when I heard, like, there's a new movie called The Changeling by J. Michael Straczynski, I'm like, <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait. And then you find out that it's just like a, you know, 1930s era drama or something like that. However, one little note, which makes me so happy, the best thing, almost <laughs> worth this movie's existence just for this. I, I, I've been, been a projectionist for years. And, you know, at, at the theaters, they deliver movies and lots of times they have code names for the movies so that, you know, people who are, you know, in transit or, or whatever don't see, you know, Star Trek, you know, the motion picture and think, oh, my God, I need to have that in my collection and then steal it, you know? Right. So they'll give it some, you know, crazy name. Like for Batman Begins, it was Rory's first kiss, you know, just always something random, whatever. Edgar Wright likes to use the names from his childhood movies that he, he made when he was a kid. For Changeling... The name on the can, Nomad. Wow. Isn't that awesome? That is so cool. I know, right? Clint Eastwood must be a really big fan, you know? No, I don't that, know. We should have him on sometime. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably I'm J. Sure Michael was, Straczynski, right? It probably was J. Michael Straczynski, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, the changeling. There's a solar system that's been wiped out. No life anymore. And they find a tiny little ship that starts shooting at them. And after Kirk hails them, it stops. And so they beam it aboard because that's what you do with things that just destroyed entire solar systems. Yeah. And it's uh, an old probe. They eventually find out that it's uh, it was called Nomad. It was sent in 2020 from Earth. So we're almost there. A few more years and we can launch this sucker. 
But we will have already have to have launched Khan into space, but that didn't happen, or at least not that we're aware of. Well, isn't there like some sort of thinking there that that was like a covert war? Yeah, like that's okay. the that's the modern interpretation. Right. There's eugenic wars books all about how yeah. you know Gulf War and everything was manipulated by Khan and his followers. I have to read those. Those would be interesting. Um, so Nomad, he's sent out to go find new life. And somewhere along the way, he crashes into another probe, Tanru, which is was sent out to sterilize biological samples. And I don't know how two probes smashing into each other causes them to combine their parameters. But for some reason, Nomad's new mission is to find new life and destroy it and sterilize it. So he's trying to find all non-perfect life and sterilize it. And he thinks that Kirk is his creator because he was created by Roy Kirk. Which sounds enough like Kirk that the, the nomad Tanru apparently can't tell the difference. And and then after he starts floating around on a string and, and vaporizing parts of members of the crew, Kirk eventually says, look, I'm not your creator. You're imperfect. You gotta destroy yourself. And nomad's like, ah, you got me, and explodes. So... <laughs> Yeah, and that that I think is is the, the the strongest in terms of the the logic of talking a computer to death. You know, Kirk's uh, reasoning for this thing destroying itself is pretty sound, and it's it's very sort of clean and and makes a lot of sense to me. But what did you think about the episode on the whole? Before we get there, well, it's 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 a pretty good episode it's kind of a kind of a mystery thing like why is this thing not attacking kirk and then spock mind melds with it and that's how he gets the story of you know that them smashing into each other and changing their parameters which is weird yeah because up to that point and from every point forward you assume that the mind meld works with minds but apparently artificial intelligences count as consciousness well they do bring it back in motion picture oh yeah he just kind of yes motion picture maybe maybe that doesn't count because that that is basically changeling the motion picture yeah not not the angelina jolie motion not no no they they made the changeling into a movie but it is not the movie the changeling they called it the motion picture yeah which is strange to tell the same story again because the story is it's okay it's not that it's not that strong the search for one's creator i guess if if i put it like that yes that's good but it mostly both of them mostly focus on everything that's not the creator needs to totally blow up <laughs> well i mean it, i i can see them looking at this episode and saying like there's a a kernel here which we can um, used to, to to grow a much bigger story and deal with a lot of you know different themes and stuff like that, and you know it could make for a good motion picture. Not exactly sure how well that worked out, but I mean I I can see the logic behind it, but I kind of wish they hadn't done that. There's some fan edits that cut down the motion picture to uh, TV show length. 
like removing all the padding and the flying and the ship and the staring and the standing. And so you can, it's like they just took the changeling and then just padded it out with all of the standing and the, the colonar and the ship viewing and the ship flying through the other ship and then the cloud and everything. It, it's like they just padded it out and like, well, we'll take this episode and we'll remake it, but we'll make it bigger and longer just by adding more padding and then ta-da, movie. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I do think the motion picture is better than j- the changeling. And I, I don't really have a problem with the motion picture so much anymore now that, you know, Robert Wise did his director's cut. Mm-hmm. I think that that actually took out a lot of the extraneous stuff and... Things like, uh, you know, Kirk flying to the Enterprise and that whole big, you know, yeah. Enterprise is awesome montage. I love that sequence. It's like my one of my favorite moments in movie history. So I, I'm not sure that, you know, cutting it down. I mean, maybe that would be a, a better way of seeing whether or not this holds up compared to the Changeling. But then I think you lose a lot of the stuff that makes that great. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of The Changeling. It's it's an average episode. It's one of those that you could watch and get an idea of. This is the original series. There's there's a problem, and they figure it out. Like, yeah. like Scooby-Doo, kind of a mystery. They pull the mask off a nomad, and it's actually Tanru. And... <laughs> I think it's okay. I mean, that, that's true. The plot is, is kind of simple, but I think some of the... Uh philosophical ideas in there are are interesting so i i would say that it's a good episode now i i already talked about how i think that this is the strongest of of kirk's uh computer destroying moments how how do you feel this one stacks up well it i can see where you're coming from because it at least makes sense that it would destroy itself landrew not being the best thing for the body doesn't mean Landry should catch himself on fire. <laughs> but Nomad being imperfect and having to purge itself from itself, it makes sense that it would overload. and it, Because that's its, that was the point. That's what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Well, the last episode we're going to talk about today is the ultimate computer, which unfortunately is not the ultimate Computer destruction. <laughs> no, it's pretty simple. I, like I, I, it was quick. I, I went, you know, looked at the end of it and and uh, watched the destruction of, of the ultimate computer, and it really didn't take much at all. But uh, <laughs> the ultimate computer is about uh, Richard Daystrom, who we hear about in TNG, and they actually mention it in Into Darkness. Like he's a big deal. Um, he's got institutes and universities and stuff named after him. He invented a computer that can run a Constitution-class ship. And so they, they installed on the Enterprise, and the the computer, called M5, doesn't understand that the war games that it's being put through are games. So M5 starts blowing up, uh, or trying to blow up, all of the uh, the other Constitution-class ships, which is a really neat scene. In in the original version, it's kind of, you know, obviously the Enterprise copied and pasted uh, into four different quadrants of the screen. But in in the remastered version, they all look different. They all have different names. They have different, the light, different lights are on in different positions where, you know, like some of the lights aren't on 
all the time on the enterprise model. They'll like there'll be different ones on. So there's little little changes like that to make each one unique. Like maybe they decided for the next one we'll put the windows here instead of over here. Um, that's neither here nor there. That's computer, but they're computer generated. Ah, yes. <laughs> It all ties in together. The ultimate computer. Mm-hmm. So Kirk has to convince M5 uh, that it's doing wrong, which it doesn't like. And Daystrom eventually points out that he couldn't figure out how to make M5 super smart, and he'd put his own memory engrams, his own like consciousness in there. And Daystrom doesn't like killing. So, so Kirk goes up to the computer... And convinces it that, uh, hey, you know, you're you're like Daystrom. You know murder's bad, right? Yeah. Well, you totally murdered a bunch of people on all those other ships. And he's like, oh, oh, you're right. And he turns off. Well, but th- that's the other thing. Because th- this one is, is the, the least effective for me. Because he's like, you, you don't like killing people, right? And the computer's like, no, killing's bad. And then he's like, well, what's the penalty for murder? And he says, oh, it's death. It's like, well, then you better go kill yourself. And he's like, <laughs> okay. And then, like, literally, he just shuts off, like, right there. You know, and that's it. I mean, that's really, that's it, you know? And that, to me, there's, like, a couple big stretches there. One, that the computer is, you know, not a fan of killing and that, you know, Kirk gets this information and is able to use it. And two, it's the future, right? Utopian society the penalty for murder is death, which is weird for two reasons. Yes. One, Star Trek continuity in the menagerie, they say the only death penalty is for going to uh, Talos 4, right? Or is it 5? It's 4. 4. Okay. And then the other thing is, what? I thought we were supposed to be like an evolved species now. We're not killing people for anything, right? I mean, (laughs) right? Am I wrong? There's no death penalty anymore. Yeah, that yeah, that doesn't I mean it was it was hard enough during menagerie for us to be like why is there still death penalty? And for that too, which And for make that, any sense. which is weird. <laughs> so, yeah. I th- that doesn't work for me. But and, and and they took a big risk because I mean, he's tied into the the ship. I mean, you know, you need to kill yourself. And he's mm-hmm. like, okay, and the warp core overloads and everybody dies. Right, that's true. That's true. <laughs> he hadn't he hadn't quite thought that out, but I guess it was one of those things where, you know, you gotta do something, right? It's like it's like crossing the streams and Ghostbusters, you know. Or or maybe it's something maybe that did cross Kirk's mind, and maybe it's something to do with him having uh willing to sacrifice himself for others that's true he does say like just before that he's like hey you know we might die but if we do we're sacrificing ourselves for all those ships out there who don't know that we're gonna blow them up if they come near us yeah because it's the enterprise hey enterprise oh no right like the reliant in star trek 2 yeah they're all one One big happy fleet fleet. (laughs) so okay so so the ending doesn't really work so much but what did you think about the episode on the whole i like the episode uh this is one of the few where I like the remastered version better than the original. Without going overboard, it adds more space battle, you know, not Deep Space Nine level battle scenes, but it, it does add some visual interest instead of like, 
here's the Enterprise, here's the Enterprise, but it's not supposed to be the Enterprise, so pretend that it's not shooting at each other. Which, they were going to do that for Star Trek Two, weren't they? They were going to originally have the Reliant be another Constitution-class ship. Oh, yeah? And they were afraid of uh, people getting confused, probably after watching this episode. <laughs> yeah, there doesn't seem to be much reason to do that aside from budget. Right. I'm glad that they made the Reliant a different thing because it would be watching it with watching Star Trek two with that mindset of it being another constitution class ship. They would have to like zoom in on the name every shot. This isn't no see this ship that's coming in behind the other (laughs) ship is, is not the enterprise. It is the enterprise. And the one that you're looking at now isn't. (laughs) Yeah. That would have been way too confusing, which is, is something they try to do. Like I said, with the remaster and moving the windows and stuff, but most of the shots after the, the intro shots are pretty far away. Um, so as not to make it too overdramatic or add too many new sound effects to keep it the original cut. But the the episode, I like the idea of... It's something that, that should have crossed the writer's mind before about, well, if we're in the future and computers are awesome, why don't the computers just fly the ships around? And report on everything. Like, I found a planet, and it's pretty cool. I didn't destroy its society, so that makes me better. But it, it, it goes to show... I mean, like, the moral of the story is a computer can't replace a person. And, and for the 60s to already be trying to address that is, is really cool. It's 1967, 68. Computers are still not popular. I mean, nobody has a personal computer or anything like that. And to already be be afraid of being replaced by a machine. I guess that was a problem before that point. Everybody was afraid of, you know, like, oh, I'm no longer going to be able to work on this car plant because the robots are going to do it, which is what happened. But they need people to watch the robots to make sure that they don't revolt. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that is totally what, what this episode is about. And I, I think that it's even more relevant today than it was back then the fact that they were able to call it like you said is pretty impressive but i mean hey look we don't have any bookstores anymore you know and it's because mm-hmm. of computers you know yeah, but it's, not, it's not because the computer was smart though. not because the computer was smart but because the computer you know replaced them the computer made the person obsolete you know i mean that that we, we actually did a commentary for this episode on my my other show commentary track stars over on commentary com, and um we basically talked about how this is a pretty strong analogy for projectionists you know and what happened with them <laughs> like i said before i was a projectionist for years and you know working in 35 millimeter and it was great and they bring in digital and it's like look we don't need people anymore now, be honest. Have yeah. you tried to talk one of your projectors to death? <laughs> Only once or twice. <laughs> but it didn't work because it does not believe in the death penalty. Well, that's that's good, I guess. It's more advanced than the ultimate computer. Yeah. My My favorite part about this episode is the fact that I was going to make a joke tweet that uh, uh, after iOS 7 came out and everybody started complaining about it, I... I was going to make the joke that the Enterprise is upgraded with a new operating system and Kirk talks it to death. But that's exactly this episode. Yeah. Well, it's been fun talking about uh, all of the 
computers and and Kirk versus the machine. But uh, that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. So here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, The Orb. Time travel and alternate realities. And then you have everybody else on The Defiant that we, you know, obviously don't know very well. But they all have somebody that's going to be affected. And then you think, too, oh, goodness, the whole entire Dominion War would have been affected if they hadn't gone back. Earl Grey. Episodes we love to defend. In the observation lounge, and he accidentally calls him number one, and then they look at each other like, is he going to figure it out? If they get... What do the frigging know? They don't know anything. <laughs> They're not like, wait, wait, let me look that up. Wait, that means something that Captain Picard calls his first... No, they don't know that. The ready room. Relics. In the day, I, I asked Ron about it, and he said, we just screwed up. I screwed up. Every producer screwed up. Mike and Rick... And and uh, it wouldn't be Andre then. It would have been uh, it would have been Rain as the science advisor. It's like nobody caught it. To the journey. Five episode marathon. Yeah, with Aisha Tyler and Jerry Ryan, she talked about how when she signed up and actually signed the contract to become Seven of Nine, she'd never seen the show before, but she watched an episode of Star Trek Voyager as she went home that night and was aired. But apparently, it was like the worst episode ever she literally cried that night because she's like what on earth did i do commentary trek stars ronald d more recap so you're saying that you wish star trek was bsg no what just I'm... say for the record that you wish star trek had never existed <laughs> and that battlestar galactica was was uh, the, the thing instead warp five enterprise season one blu-rays Towards the end of that particular documentary, Brandon expresses that he had been also feeling quite dejected and burnt out at the end of the first season, which makes me wonder, yeah, you know, did he did he really have the energy? Did, did Was it kind of only just hanging in there? Trek news and views. Halloween tracks. Played the, um, the, the murdering crazy person who has psychic visions and uh, can communicate with the ghosts. It was kind of a similar character to the one on Voyager, right? No. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Literary treks. Demons of Air and Darkness. Well, what's what's interesting about it is, is that, you know, Kira, her gods haven't cast her out. You know, her people have. And it's yeah. a lot the same way of, you know, Luther and his 95 Theses and being kicked out of the Catholic Church and all of that happening. Because what Kira has brought to her people is, is kind of a reformation and introducing our TOS show, Standard Orbit. James Tiberius Kirk. No, Star, Star Trek Four. I mean, aside from the bookend stuff, I don't really know how much Kirk grows there. It's, it's kind of a standalone story in a lot of he, ways. He learns about whales and how it's bad to hunt any animal to extinction. <laughs> Which I guess is an, an important lesson to uh, learn. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, everything. Or you can just stream and download the files directly from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. So let's tell everyone where they can contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts about uh, Kirk and computers. From your computer, you can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. You can choose to send a show and choose Standard Orbit. 
That will come to both of us by email. You can use the tab on the right-hand side of the page to send a voicemail using your webcam's microphone, or you can talk to us and other listeners at our forums at trek.fm forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash trek.fm, and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or uh, you can find me on my other show's website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do Commentary TrackStars off-topic with um, my friends Max and Brandon. And you can also find me on Trek FM doing Commentary TrekStars with Max. I, I should also note that uh, this week's episode of Commentary TrekStars, which just came out over here on Trek FM, is uh, an interview with Mark Cushman, who wrote These Are the Voyages, which is a a book about the making of the original series, and also John D.F. Black and Mary Black, who both worked on the original series. Uh, John was a producer, and Mary was his assistant. So uh, be sure to check that out if you're an original series fan, because uh, it's some, some really cool info in there. Yeah, I was just reading Making of Star Trek, and they talk about D.F. Black. Now, they made fun of him because he had Dorothy Fontana's initials. <laughs> I guess he did. <laughs> but yeah, be, be sure to check that out, because it's really good. Part one just came out, and part two will be out on Friday. I can't wait to hear him. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. And you can find me pretty much everywhere. I think I've been... On except for the series shows, I think I've been on most of the other shows on there, so you can you can find me all over the place. We're 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 starting to get iTunes reviews in, so uh, if you want, go in, rate and review. We'll read them if they're positive, and if they're negative, I'll cry and then I go. I will <laughs> read negative reviews. I have no problem doing that. Why is everyone scared of negative reviews? Honest feedback, you know. I mean, if it's just someone being a jerk, okay. But if someone is honest and says, you know what, guys, you suck, and here is why, and it is, it is you know, uh, constructive criticism, I am all for that. Send your constructive criticism to us. You know, we, we need to get better, <laughs> right? No? Okay. Yes. <laughs> all right. Anyway, we have, we have a couple five-star reviews. I'm going to read one of them. Uh, it's called A Really Good Show. Thank you so very, very much for a TOS podcast. The episode, because the first episode, is very insightful and funny at the same time. I highly suggest that you subscribe. BTW, thanks for telling the story of how you got into Star Trek, Mike. I've never heard it before. Thank you, Trek FM, for producing this show. That's from Trey34. Yeah, and and Trey is on, on Twitter as well, and he seems like a good guy. So thanks, Trey. We really appreciate it. Also, if you would personally like to support Standard Orbit, the network, and our programming, please visit trek.fm slash donate. We have eight alien-themed badges and art prints as a thank you for your contribution, and you can mix and match badges and art prints. There are different levels of donation to choose from, and your contributions help us cover the cost of production, storage, and bandwidth needed to bring Standard Orbit and other shows to you every week. So, anything you want to close on, Mike? Can't really think of anything. Um... Yeah, uh, Kirk, just one more reason why he's the best. Yeah, Picard never had to talk computers to death. Not that I can think of. 
He I might mean, have. Kirk, Watch, I, we're going to get you know emails. Out. <laughs> of course he did. Episode 163, you morons. <laughs> get out of the 23rd hey, century. You, you know that Kirk would have met the Borg and tried to convince them that that everything's fine. You're not perfect, mm-hmm. and your quest for perfection is imperfect, and then the Borg all would have blown themselves up, and we would have been saved yep. lots and lots of trouble. Yep. <laughs> so thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit ahead, walk factor one. Hi, sir.